0: Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you: what you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show.
1: <laughs> what is that? That's from uh, that Travis Scott. Album, it's with featuring um, <laughs> Quavo, Quavo,
0: Quavo, Quavo. Amazing. They
1: enunciate the C cup. It's like in a way that I can't.
0: <laughs> she got C cup, D cup. What she got C C cup, D cup breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome oh, to the Women of Death Row podcast. <laughs> Hi, everybody. We're <laughs> recording that whole thing. Oh, shit. Uh, I'm Amanda. I'm Mariel. Mm. We're going to tell you some <laughs> fucked up stories about yeah. women who have been sentenced to death. Anything from last time? I don't think so.
1: No. Oh, I'm never going to do like a history timeline again. I thought it was pretty cool. It was hard. So never again. Well, I-
0: oh, <laughs> <laughs> In case you don't already know, the fucking Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, y'all! Ugh, man. (laughs) It's so weird. It's been
1: 50 years. Fuck. Our father was in Vietnam.
0: yeah. And he'll be turning how old on Super Bowl Sunday? I don't
1: know. 69? 69? Maybe. I don't know Mm, how old he is.
0: Oops. (laughs) Age doesn't fucking matter. And no. Once you're over 18. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That Very a important.
1: <laughs> That's be important. But, yeah, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. It's been an exciting time to be in Kansas City. Um, yes. Everyone's just in a really good mood.
0: I know. It's such a... Even though it's shitty outside, it's still, like... There's hope. There's hope. Yeah. Yeah. And they're favored to win. I know. It's, I kind of... I have a theory that the game was fixed. Uh, yeah, I do too. I feel like, mm, yeah. Don't um, tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's between us. But anyway, um, and it's in fucking Miami. Oh Jennifer shit. Lopez, our mom is performing. Yep. So I'm yep. going to assist her. Mm-hmm. I I told her that I can't help with background dancing this time. <laughs> I will help carry wardrobe, and that is all.
1: Yeah, Shakira asked me for some tips. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I couldn't even get it. Out. <laughs> tips for your hip
1: because the hips don't lie. Yes,
0: <laughs> hit them hips roll. Oh man! Wow. Digressions. Okay, so Boop so, boop. Who went? You went first. I did. Should I go. You're super like fuck because like, you're a child victim. I feel like that's yes. Okay, so um, you should go
1: first. Yes, I don't and know mine's <laughs> fucked up, but
0: children deaths are just are just
1: well mines does not result in a child's <sighs> death, but I will be citing childhood abuse of who I, whom I will be sharing about you you want me to go first? First. okay uh, my sources came from Wikipedia and Nick Bloomfield's documentary. I'm gonna do this sort of backwards because I kind of want to end on a specific note um I don't know what it is like about this particular person or this particular case but like the whole time you just feel so sad and not that you don't feel sad for any of the other people regardless of their context of the story you just feel sad for ultimately everybody it's a very sad topic and a lot of hurt goes into it so even though that happened this person did take the lives of she was convicted of six first counts first degree murder received six death sentences They didn't find one body, but she's responsible for the death of seven people. So without, that's just a long intro to say like this one has been like this is one of my main true crime stories that I've known about like since I was a young kid. So Eileen Uh, Warnos,
0: oh whoa,
1: (laughs) I don't know what it is. Like I remember watching her movie with Charlize Theron and Christina Ritchie, like right when it came out, and I was like thirteen. Just yeah, super she had a interested up in childhood. this case. Yes. Which there's this weird coincidence between me and this case. Why I think I know why it stuck with me so much. So I'll get there. That was just a
0: really long winded way to say <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just a I little. I wonder scared. if anyone guessed before you said her name. Because I was like, wait, did she already say her name and I missed it? I was no. like, I don't want to ask. I was like, I'll catch on.
1: <laughs> no. So Eileen Warnos.
0: I've also heard it pronounced
1: Aileen. Spelled A-I-L-E-E-N, Aileen Wuornos. Um, She was named America's first serial killer. Female serial killer, sorry. Mm -hmm. She was named America's first female serial killer. Aileen was convicted of six counts of first-degree murder and received six death sentences for those murders. The murders were committed within a 12-month time frame in the state of Florida, where... There's a big question mark on Florida laws because it seems to be like a lot of shit happening there. Yeah. Richard Charles Mallory, age 51, November 30th, 1989. Um, he owned an electronic store in Clearwater, Florida. What's significant about Clearwater, Florida? Scientology. Uh, is <laughs> I don't know. The
0: part? No, not I was at all. Say.
1: No. Whenever I see Clearwater, Florida, I just automatically go to Scientology and then automatically goes to, like, where's Shelly Miscavige? damn
0: it. Save her.
1: That's a question I have every single day when I wake up.
0: Anyway. Day when you wake up. I believe that.
1: Where was I? Victim number one, Richard Charles Mallory. He was a convicted rapist whom Eileen claimed she killed him in self-defense.
0: And I believe
1: that. 100%. Two days later, a Volusia, a Volusia County deputy found Mallory's abandoned be-
0: vehicle, vehicle
1: on December 13th.
0: <laughs> Cubans coming out. Vehicle.
1: <laughs> his vehicle. His body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times. Two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of death. David Andrew Spears, age 47, construction worker in Winter Garden, Florida. On June 1st, 1990, his naked body was found along U.S. Route 19 in Florida in Citrus County. He had been shot six times. Charles Edmund Carskadden, age 40, May 31st, 1990, was when he was killed. His body was found June 6th, 1990, in Pasco County. He'd been shot eight times with a 20 caliber weapon. His body was wrapped in an electric blanket, and it was badly decomposed when it was found. Shit. Yep. Witnesses said they saw Eileen in possession of his car and that she had also pawned a gun identified as his to belong to him. She was a little messy. Peter Abraham seems age 65. His car was found on July 4th, 1990 in Orange Springs, Florida. Eileen, and an accomplice, was seen abandoning the car, and Eileen's palm print was found in the inside handle. His body was never found, so she would never be convicted of his murder. Troy Eugene Bures, age 50, he was reported missing on July 31st, 1990. His body was found August 4th, 1990, in a wooded area alongside State Road 19 in Marion County. He was shot twice. Charles Humphreys, age 56. He was found fully clothed and had been shot six times in the head and torso. And his car was found in uh, another county. I see Walter Gino Antonio, age 62. His body was found November 19, 1990, um, near a remote lodging road in Dixie County. He'd been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevard County. Just to give some context, like around the early months of 1986, before Eileen did all the, the murders, she meets Tyra Moore, oh, who yes. played by Christina Ritchie. Yeah. Big fan. Yes. She met her at a gay bar in Daytona Beach. They moved in together and Eileen supported them with the money
0: she earned um, doing sex work. All right. Was she also robbing these men she was murdering or did the police suspect yes. murder? robbery was happening or whatever yeah she
1: wasn't charged with robbery it was all just first degree murder but yeah she was you know robbing them mm-hmm. and taking there. all right still going backwards on july 4th 1990 eileen and tyra abandoned victim number four peter seam's car after they crashed it witnesses who saw them with the car provided their names and descriptions to the police A media campaign with their information began looking for Eileen and Tyra. So I think they were on like America's Most Wanted and shit. Items belonging to Peter Simon, other victims were found in the abandoned car along with Eileen's fingerprints. So since she had Damn. a history of criminal activity before Florida, which
0: I'll They've get to. Got her on record. She's on record. On
1: January 9th, 1991, Eileen was arrested for an outstanding warrant at the Last Resort Biker Bar in Volusia County, Florida. Police located Tyra in Scranton, Pennsylvania. In exchange for immunity, mm-hmm. Tyra agreed to attempt to elicit a confession from Eileen. So with like the help of the police, they got her a motel room. They called and then over several phone calls, um, eventually leading to January sixteenth, nineteen ninety one, when Eileen confessed to the murder, citing that she killed them in self defense because they were they tried to rape her. Mm-hmm. Which I hundred percent believe. You know, yeah. just because you work, you're a sex worker, doesn't eliminate the risk you know right and she was a high risk high risk like truck stops and shit right yeah yeah so I believe her you know maybe there's a lot of things that can go down where you can eliminate the business transaction you don't you don't have to have a reason you can eliminate it for any reason and who knows maybe someone got
0: pissed off but I feel like maybe she was hitchhiking yeah couldn't yeah. have even
1: been about that But I, but it's like no one's really listening to her but I'll get to it on January 14th 1992, the trial for murder victim number one, Richard Mallory, began. And so typically with criminal convictions, previous convictions are inadmissible in those criminal cases with a jury trial. But Mm. Florida has a law called Williams Rule, which was a case in 1959 that ruled that relevant evidence of a collateral crime is admissible in a jury trial when it does not quote prove the quote criminal propensity of the defendant but that relevant evidence is used as motive or intent mm. I just think that still kind of like sways people in a biased direction like I don't know gives, gives you more to damage their character yeah of course so Eileen's previous crimes were admitted as evidence and they were used to show a pattern of her illegal activity throughout her yacht life On January 27, 1992, Eileen was convicted of Robert Mallory's murder. This was the conviction that was aided by Tyra's testimony. She got immunity. During the Mm -hmm. sentencing hearing, Eileen's psychiatrist for the defense testified that Eileen was, quote, mentally unstable and was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Mm -hmm. Eileen would be sentenced to death for the murder of Robert Mallory. And in the documentary, Nick Bloomfield's documentary, the life and death of Eileen Warnos. I'm pretty sure is what it called. Mm-hmm. What it's called. She was like crying and showing emotion. It just like seeing she that, was. She was seeing that body language was like. I don't know. I could just kind of tell she had been through a lot. And then also, typically, there a common theme with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder is childhood trauma, mm-hmm. which. As I will share with you in a couple minutes, some detail about that. Yikes. Stay tuned, like you have any choice of where to go right now. On March 31st, 1992, Eileen pleaded no contest to the murders of Charles Humphreys, Troy Bures, and David Spears. At the trial, she pleaded that she, quote, wanted to get right with God. In her statement to the court, she also said, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you. But these others did not. They only began to start to. And to say, and to that I say, like, you know, 100% believe her. I do, too. <laughs> it's not uncommon for this to happen to sex workers, either.
0: Mm, 100%. Mm. On May fifteenth, nineteen
1: 1992, she was sent- given three more death sentences. Fuck. In June 1992, Eileen pleaded guilty to the murder of Charles Karskeden. Yeah. Oh. In November 1992, oh. your birth month and year, Hello. she received her fifth death sentence. Damn. D- the defense made efforts during the trial to introduce evidence that Robert Mallory, um, victim number one, had been tried for intent to commit rape in Maryland. And that he had been committed to a maximum security correctional facility that provided remediation for sex offenders. Bingo. So red flags. So for this trial, her the defense requested records from that institution from nineteen fifty eight to nineteen sixty-two, and it confirmed that he was committed for treatment and observation resulting from a criminal charge of assault with intent to rape and received an overall eight years of treatment. And in nineteen sixty one it was observed that he possessed strong sociopathic trends. The judge refused to allow all that in court though. and denied eileen's request for a retrial why did he deny it in february 1993 eileen pleaded guilty to the murder of walter antonio and was sentenced to death again at this final death sentence she becomes really vocal and then in the documentary like her demeanor completely changes from one to number six it's like this anger is like spilling out of her and she's just like like she's about to bust it's like just a complete one eighty from the first yeah. step. Well, what has she got
0: to lose? Fuck.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's like this kind of glaze go was like kind of over her that it's just like it,
0: it was interesting. Could have been to any I think of her she was just angry illness
1: plus hundred percent situational yeah triggers hundred percent. No charges were brought against her for the murder of victim number five. The one who had no Seems. body found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in total, she got six death sentences. So Eileen apparently was giving really inconsistent stories about all the murders. She claimed initially that all seven men had raped her or attempted to rape her mm-hmm. while she was hired to work. But later, she recanted that the claim of self-defense, citing that robbery and a desire to like leave no witnesses was the reason for her murdering them.
0: What? Yeah.
1: She went back and forth. So that just tells me that, like, mentally she's declining, too. Yeah. I didn't read much about her defense team, but I know that she had one. So as we've learned, though, when someone's on death row, they're in the cell 23 hours a day alone, maybe getting an hour of rec time a few times a week. And even then you're in a cage secluded from anybody else. You're outside, but you're in a fucking cage. During an interview with um, Nick Broomfield, she, you know, when Eileen thought the cameras were off, she was like whispering to him, "Like, hey, I have a secret, you know." And she told them it was actually self defense. I just hate being on death row, and I want to die.
0: Oh shit! Mm-hmm. Yeah, she at that point she had been on death row for ten years. So Nick Broomfield's uh, amazing. Like he got he gets a lot of amazing quotes out of people,
1: and I think this documentary did a good job of like showing her decline in a way. I think he tried to humanize her as much as possible. And only two people in her life story that I can think of did that. Her childhood friend and Nick Broomfield. And it's like no one else humanized her. And that's no way to like excuse like what she did. But,
0: mm. you know, she's a human being. It
1: like helps you understand. Yeah. It gives, I mean, I think context matters. Yeah. Yeah. Eileen was incarcerated at the Florida Department of Corrections, Broward Correctional Institution, so BCI, death row for women. Then she was transferred to Florida State Prison for the execution. So her appeal in 1996 was denied by the Supreme Court. And in 2001, a petition to the Florida Supreme Court, she stated that her intention to dismiss her legal counsel and terminate all pending appeals. So... It's like she's given up at this point. Mm -hmm. She said, I killed those men, robbed them as cold as ice, and I'd do it again, too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I am so sick of hearing this she-crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. While well, her attorneys argued that she wasn't mentally competent to make, you know, a request to dismiss them, psychiatrists and Eileen insisted that she knew what she was doing, and a panel of psychiatrists who evaluated her for like maybe twenty minutes all agreed. So, you know, psych evals, good ones, are like hours long, and you 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 go through like a battery of different assessments, like on paper and word of mouth, and like the ask you questions that last like two hours. So, when I read Eileen's quotes from court, and then I see her in the documentary, like her body language and stuff, especially knowing what she experienced in her youth, you can like see she's hurting and that she experienced like something really painful. And then she continues to decline. In 2002, Eileen began accusing prison guards of tainting her food with dirt, saliva, and urine. Oh my God. She said she had overheard conversations among prison personnel trying to quote, Trying to get me so pushed over the brink by them, I wind up committing suicide before the execution. And, quote, wishing to rape me before execution. Mm -hmm. Eileen also complained of strip searches, tight handcuffing, door kicking, frequent window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and catcalling. Ugh. Yeah. And she said it was all a distaste and pure hatred towards me. She threatened to boycott showers and protest food trays when certain uh, officers were on duty. She said, in the meantime, my stomach's growling and I'm taking showers to the sink of my cell. Her attorney said that Eileen really just wants to be like treated like a human. Give proper treatment while she's on death row. Wow. Be- right?
0: Mm-hmm. Who, 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 That's duh. so much to ask for.
1: Yeah. So, you know, he added, she believes what she's written and then, you know, considering what we know about the inhumanity surrounding the whole criminal justice system and like in Kansas City, Jackson County Jail is like notoriously horrendous. I believe some of the stuff she was saying, but also she could be ass- like I could assess her as like she's declining and like really, really paranoid and having a lot of delusions that are like paranoid themed. Yeah. So it could have been both. Um, she was declining at a pace, you know, and it, it intensified as her. towards execution got closer. So in the in weeks before her execution, Eileen did a bunch more interviews with Nick Broomfield. She said, quote, being taken away to meet God and Jesus and the angels and whatever it is beyond the beyond. In her final interview, she once again reported that her mind was quote unquote, tortured at BCI. And her head was crushed by, quote, sonic pressure. And I also think that she mentioned that the guards were responsible for the sonic pressure. Mm. She said food poisoning and other abuses worsened. She said each time she complained with the goal of making her appear insane or drive her insane. So she felt like there was some intention, like, behind that stuff to make it seem like she was crazy. And then at the end, she turned on Nick. So she's known him since 1993 when she first entered prison. He was, like, at all her hearings and stuff. Yeah. She said, quote, you sabotaged my ass. Society and the cops and the system. A raped woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Her final on-camera words were, thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. <laughs> Damn. Which she's got a point. For real. Facts. Don Botkins is Eileen's childhood friend and really the only person that like humanized her along with Nick Broomfield. Mm. She kept all of Eileen's stuff. Has it kept in her garage? Wow. Uh, like everything, like didn't get rid of anything. Like Eileen's childhood drawings, a bunch of her kid stuff. Aww. yeah. She told Nick Broomfield that Eileen's verbal abuse was not, was directed at society and not Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so Eileen's execution took place on October 9th, 2002
0: Oh, so it was my twelfth birthday. I didn't want to say it in the
1: beginning. <laughs> yep, my twelfth birthday, which I think is the connection of why I connected so much with this mm-hmm. case. This is like my first true crime case. Yeah, that sure. and Lacey Peterson. Yeah, and like then the movie about. came out shortly after. Yeah, and I was like, I saw it as soon as it came out. Yeah, and, and I, I think mm-hmm. we were pretty young. Oh yeah, too young. We saw Titanic when it first came
0: out. We were seven and five, and then hitchhiked. We hitchhiked. Remember to the car? It was really cold. We all got in a van. It was, was it a van or was it a golf cart? I thought it was a van. I don't remember. And got a ride to the car. Wow. Mm-hmm. We're miracles.
1: <laughs> so Eileen Warnos was executed at 947 AM. She declined her last meal and only opted for a cup of coffee. Her last words were, yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day With Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. She was... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's interesting. She was the 10th woman in the United States and the second in Florida to be executed since 1976 when capital punishment was restored. Yeah. So, remember when I said I was going backwards? Uh Uh-huh. I kept the really heavy stuff for last. Yeah. So... This is really sad. And as I was writing it, I was like starting to cry because I, I work with kids and this is pretty similar to the stuff that I kind of care about and it doesn't get easier. And it's just to think that so Eileen was born Eileen Carol Pittman, February 29th, 1956 in Troy, Michigan. Her mom was 14 when she married her dad, who was 16. Whoa. Her parents divorced four months before she was born and after less than two years of marriage. She never met her dad. He was incarcerated when she was born and was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he was later convicted of sex crimes involving children. Ugh. He would hang himself in prison in 1969. Eileen's mom abandoned Eileen and her brother and left them with their maternal grandparents who later legally adopted them. By the time she was 11, she was trading sex sexual acts for in exchange for like cigarettes, food, and drugs at school.
0: Jesus Christ. 11. With like
1: adults or like... I don't know. It just said she would probably everywhere. School, oh anywhere. It's also reported that she and her brother engaged in sexual acts too. Eileen reported that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted and beaten her when she was a child. Before beating her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. In 1970, at age 14, she got pregnant due to a rape of a friend of her grandfather's. Mm. Yeah, it's sick. Eileen was sexually exploited by her grandfather and her brother, which reportedly began as early as age of nine. There was a point in the documentary where a man was on the witness stand and uh, he'd known Eileen since she was a kid. Due to that, he was also using her for sex. Oh, my God. I should say rape. Yeah. He testified publicly that he would publicly scorn her. He'd throw rocks at her and tell her to get the fuck out of there and go home. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fuck you. Eileen gave birth to a baby at a home for unwed mothers in 1971. What? And that child was placed up for adoption. Holy shit. Yeah. A few months after the baby was born, she dropped out of school. And then around that same time, her grandma died of liver failure. When she was 15, her grandfather threw her out of the house. And that's when she began supporting herself with sex work, living in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's horrible. So this is like trauma with a big T. And you got to think, like, with all the stuff that she did, her history of criminal activity was... Robbery, robbed a convenience store for 35 bucks and two packs of cigarettes. Just getting, robbing people for money and sex work. She was surviving. And so, and just think about her childhood, how much rage and, and like, anger she has. And then she made a prediction. She was totally exploited by pop culture oh, and yeah. her story. And it's like, look what she had to go through to get there. And then here we are all giddy about. Charlie's theorem winning an Oscar playing her. Right. And Christina Ritchie, you know totally. It, it's she like predicted it. And I think it's hard to humanize somebody in this situation. Well, wasn't but
0: the movie called Something Monster? It was called Monster. Yeah. Yeah. That right there is completely dehumanizing, right there. Yes. Good job. So and you gotta
1: think like at some point, it became difficult for her to distinguish, like, what is reality and what is my fight for survival? Yeah. So, it, you know, you got to think about that. She was also put to death via lethal injection. Oh. So and at that time, I don't think they had discovered how fucking painful it was mm. because they
0: got the blood stuff wrong and you weren't actually completely out. Right. You're just paralyzed and feeling everything. Of course, your brain's has killing you. Yeah.
1: So her body, Eileen Warnos body was cremated and her ashes were spread beneath a tree in her native Michigan by her childhood friend, Don Botkins. Mm-hmm. Eileen requested that Natalie Merchant's song Carnival be played at her funeral.
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: Natalie Merchant actually commented on that when she was asked why she allowed it to be played. And she said, like, apparently that album, like, Eileen was listening to it all the time. And it, like, really helped, like, get her through. Mm. And she said, why wouldn't I allow someone... If that album had an impact, why wouldn't I allow them to play it, you know? So, Eileen Warnos, Life and Death of a Serial Killer by Nick Broomfield. It it was good. Watch it. It's, like, 45 minutes long. Yeah. Um, But that's where I got a lot of the information. So, there you go. Eileen Warnos. Damn. I knew one of us was
0: going to end up doing her.
1: That one was a heavy one for me. That's a big one. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, six people... That's Yeah, one of them a rodeo worker, the other mm-hmm. a sausage slanger. Yep. And we don't know what the other ones were.
1: No. Electronics <laughs> store and a construction worker, retired merchant seaman Seaman. Yeah. Yeah. And then she got married at some point to a president of a yacht club, but it got annulled what? yeah, annulled that same year because she was violent. And abusive.
0: Yeah, she had a lot of fucking rage, man. Okay, so let's go to Live Oak Springs, California, which is like a remote area in California. Irene Melanie May, who's 23 years old and mother of three, she's a compulsive consumer of methamphetamine. She doesn't have a home, so she doesn't have custody of those children. In 1988, she was living in the home of Carrie Lynn Dalton. Also a drug addict. Dalton is described as an irascible, destructive woman. A character trait further emphasized by the use of drugs. Uh, She has a boyfriend, Mark Lee Tompkins. Also consumed by the use of various drugs. Mostly meth. Mostly meth. Dalton is arrested for possession of drugs. Irene May at this point sees an opportunity. She squanders her money on drugs she starts selling her shit, her, she starts selling her belongings, and then she also, like, goes around Carrie Lynn's house and starts selling her stuff, too. Hmm. Uh, so Carrie Lynn gets out of prison, comes home, her shit's missing, and she's fucking pissed. And so, here's- She comes home, house is empty.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. I'd be pissed, too. So, allegedly, big old bold letters, all caps... On June 26, 1988, Carrie Lynn Dalton staged the crime that would open the doors of the death row. Irene May tries to deny the facts, the sale of Dalton's assets, but Carrie Lynn supposedly doesn't believe her. So, allegedly... Irene May is forced into a chair and repeatedly tortured. Uh, Mark Lee Tompkins, Carrie Lynn's omnipresent boyfriend, is there. A friend of hers, Sherilyn, Sherry Lynn Baker, and a third man known only by the name of George. Irene May is sadistically tortured for hours. First with electricity, then with a metal frying pan on her head and other parts of her body until the bones fracture. Mm. Then Carrie Lynn leaves for a minute leaving Irene in the hands of the other three torturers, and when she comes back to the victim, she has a syringe in her hand containing acid from the car battery. Ugh. Every time I... Ugh. Oh. Gross. Ouch. A painful and poisonous injection is then given to her. Mark kills Irene for good, stabs her in the throat, and ends her life. Wow. So, life goes on, uh, now fast forward nineteen ninety two. Someone we don't know who, someone, some anonymous person went forward to the police saying Carrie Lynn and three others were bragging about the torture and murder of Irene. On may fourteenth, nineteen ninety two, Carrie Lynn Dalton was arrested. Cheryl Ann Baker was arrested and sentenced to fifteen years imprisonment for murder in the second degree. Mark Lee Tompkins is sentenced to 25 years in prison for first-degree murder. And Carrie Lynn Dalton was found guilty of first-degree murder. On May 23, 1995, she's sentenced to death by lethal injection. Carrie Lynn Dalton has always professed she's innocent. She refused to take plea bargains in exchange for Mm -hmm. guilty pleas. But guess what? Police don't have a body. They never found a body of Irene May. So we don't even know if she's actually dead. So how could—you can't charge someone for murder. So, right. This woman who is sort of on the outskirts of society, you know, on the fringes, homeless, into drugs. Who who knows what the, where the fuck she went? And no one's keeping track of her. So, no. like, did they really right. look for her? Exactly. There's no way to track— Right. So there's no weapons of crime. There's no crime scene. There's no death certificates. So it was the big allegedly police made it up. Right. Supposedly someone came forward and said that these three were bragging about it.
1: So if we learned anything from Eileen Warnow, she was never charged for the murder of... Yeah, it's not Number funny? six. Because
0: they didn't have a body. Because they didn't have a body. Yeah, you never hear about anyone being charged. The fact that all three of these people have been sent to prison or the uh, death row and there's no body, like, that's... How do they know the someone fuck? died? Exactly. Like, that's not... You can't do that. Like, most detectives can't even get an arrest warrant if there's no body. So what the fuck? Wow. Like, unless there's, like, fucking blood everywhere and it's like, oh, shit, this person died here. This is a yeah. lot of blood. Here's a weapon... Whatever. Wow. Like I said, there's n- there's no evidence that she's dead. Research, which covers a deliberately extended period of time from 1905 to 2017, didn't lead to any results. And it just seems like she never existed. Well, Was that her real name? To-
1: well, and that's the unfortunate thing about, you know, folks who live a lifestyle where you don't have a home and you do resort to drugs to cope with things. And then eventually... You need the drugs because it's easier. It it sucks to detox on the streets. And like you said earlier, there's no way to track people. Mm-hmm. So how do you know, one, this person existed? Two, did anyone report her missing? And three, there's no body. So, right. I don't know.
0: I kind of um, pulled three
1: out of my ass, but...
0: <laughs> the body, according to testimonies and investigated suppositions, the body was first torn to pieces by Tompkins and George then disposed of by the two men within an Indian reserve so that it can no longer be found. Even one of the victim's husbands refused to cooperate with the authorities, claiming, among other things, to have seen the woman again a few months after the alleged murder. What? Yes. Wait, victims, like, who's... It's Irene's husband, her ex-husband. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was like, no, I just fucking saw her. Gotcha. The alleged victim, because we don't yeah. know where she's at. Wow. Wow. On February 14, 1995, on the sixth day of Dalton's trial, the presiding judge, Thomas J. Wellen, made this statement. I think the record is clear that nobody has ever been found in this case. The record is equally clear that there is circumstantial evidence and that there was a homicide. There is also conflicting circumstantial evidence that it may not be a homicide. In fact, she may still be alive. He went on to say, My reason for making these statements is to establish for the record that in my mind, corpus is a legitimate issue in this case. It's not a ruse that there is a legitimate issue before the jury as to whether or not there's a corpus of homicide that has been established. And so in response to a question from the prosecutor and an objection from the defense, the judge said... Ladies and gentlemen, in the last question Mr. Dusick asked, he mentioned the Melanie May, because she also went by Melanie. That's what I was going to say. So that's another thing why she would be hard to find. Yeah. What is her real name? In this case is deceased. That's a fact for you to decide. It's inappropriate for him to put that in question, whether or not Miss May is in fact deceased or not, because that's something for you to decide. So the alleged confessions from Ms. Dalton in regards to the murder of Ms. May are solely based on prosecutors, investigator Richard Cooksey, repeating hearsay. There's no record of any confession coming from Carrie or any of these people. Dalton accused prosecutor Jeff Dusick of purposeful misconduct. The thing that makes me the most mad is that he's lying and he knows he's lying, she said at the trial. The jury's foreman, John Castleman, said they based the verdict of death on the type of murder Mm. it was. Although there was no physical evidence to support the prosecution's story that there was even a murder. Yeah. So... Pages from the California Supreme Court after reviewing the automatic appeal, which is the first stage of appeals for people who are condemned uh, in California, specifically, they might call it something else in other states. At first glance it seems Carolyn Dalton has had her sentence reduced to 25 to life. However, as you read the justice's list, the fact is Carolyn remains under the third count conviction for murder, qualifying her to the death sentence, wow, which was imposed by the trial jury. The justice's state, we vacate as unauthorized the death sentence imposed on the conspiracy to murder. We further vacate the lying-in-wait-special-circumstances true finding. The justices found no facts supporting either of these charges. They finish, we affirm the judgment as modified in all other respects, which is confusing to everyone, even with Oklahoma State Police. uh, Wait, I mean, Oklahoma. Damn it, I forgot what the acronym is. OSPD. I wrote it somewhere. Fuck. (laughs) It's confusing to everyone, even this activist group who's representing her. Bottom line is, justice has removed two of the three counts against Carrie Lynn. The third one still qualifies her for the death penalty, and so she remains on death row, fighting for her life. And her case is now at the state habeas corpus level, so that if the justices chose to send her back to the original court in San Diego to have the court review their own work of the trial back in 1995, which is a new situation for California, a result of Proposition 66. They have the option of sending cases to their county of origin. The habeas review is meant to include all information, evidences, findings, reports, opinions, etc., having any bearing on this case and or trial. At this point, the San Diego court has received all the same documents from the automatic appeal as the activist groups file. Mm. As far as we can determine, there's no forensics report for the defense. A professional forensics expert can evaluate the evidence and create a factual report with a theory as to whether or not accusations line up with facts in this case, where there are no forensics at all. A professional expert report would be a light on the situation. How does this alleged type of murder or any murder occur without leaving any evidence behind? Like there was well, no fucking Well, not even a body. Blood.
1: There's nothing uh, indicating any of the shit happened. Yeah. Like, how do they know someone was injected with battery acid?
0: Exactly. And even the judge was saying that, but it was a jury that chose to convict her of not guilty. And it's like, of guilty? You, God damn it. Guilty. <laughs> like really I just fucking piece. said, <laughs> she is on death row. Wow. And it's like, especially like these are accusations that involve four meth addicts. Right. So, the jury claimed they convicted based on the type of crime this was, Where, but, like, where is evidence of any fucking crime? There isn't any. So, remember, Judge Thomas J. Wellen told the jury the prosecutor could not use terms murder or victim. He said the juries would be deciding if there was a crime. Which is like, how do, how do you do that during a capital murder trial? So, hopefully during her appeal, I'm they're speechless. like wow, uh, fuck this, and sh- it gets thrown out. But she's been there since 1995.
1: That's what, 24 years? Damn. Oh my god, that's horrible.
0: Yeah. Like, they just made up this completely horrible fucking just crime. Just arrest
1: somebody. Like, it was a bet, hey, I bet we can we can pin a murder that didn't happen on these three people. Yeah,
0: if you just make it as, like, gross as if Maybe just pack it with details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was a fucking episode of some ID show, Deadly Women, and it was... Horribly acted, terrible wigs, really (laughs) weird, screamy, yelly, inner, like, dramatizations, uh, uh, reenactments. Yeah. And it was just, like, these prosecutors and, like, quote, experts and, like, all these commentators just, like, describing this horrible case all dramatically. And then they show the fucking reenactments and it's just like really I'm just like you don't know if any of this happened the whole time I was just like wow and they're like she's evil she's a monster it's like you don't know if anything happened Happened. though dude you have no evidence to to base anything how do you fucking have a capital trial with nobody in California it's crazy yeah wow so um anyway this might lighten the mood a little a group of furries stopped a domestic violence assault and helped police make the arrest amen for furries (laughs) several members attending a furry convention in california helped restrain a man who was assaulting his girlfriend Wow! six people witnessed the assault at the annual Furry Convention, or FurCon, in San Jose, which, if you don't know, furries are enthusiasts who celebrate characters and stories involving anthropomorphic animals or fictitious characters who, like, have human traits. They said the man was assaulting a woman in a car. Robbie Ryans was working as a DJ for the convention when he and a friend went outside for a smoke break. Ryan said a blue car stopped in front of them, out of nowhere, when he heard a woman screaming, coming from inside, and saw the passengers throwing full fists at whoever <gasps> was driving. Holy shit. Driving. We got up and ran towards the car. My friend pulled open the door and we both held on to the attacker. The girl driver was yelling for him to get out as he started trying to fight us off. Four other people who were attending the conviction joined in and helped grab the man, drag him out of the car, and restrain him until police arrived. Wow, Ryan said once he felt... The situation was under control. He backed up and began filming the incident. Imagine, dude. Wow. Uh, (laughs) So when police arrived, attendees accused the suspect, 22-year-old Dimitri Hardnett, for assaulting his girlfriend. Someone said, It all happened so fast. I still can't believe it. I'm so glad everything worked out in the end. It was a horrible sight to see. Afterward, we were very shaken up but relieved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just imagine that. Here's the video. The scene of furries running up, pulling a guy out of the car. Well, here's the picture, at least. Love it.
1: In a not-so-wonderful headline, have you been keeping up with Rachel Henry, the woman that was just arrested for killing her three babies?
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah, she was arrested yesterday. Where? Uh, here we go.
0: Wait, maybe I just saw that. Three
1: children. This oh, is no. from True Crime Society. Three children aged 3, 2, and 7 months have been found dead in a Phoenix home. Online rumors were swirling, and people were speculating there had been a carbon monoxide accident. Until their mother came clean, Rachel Henry, 22, has admitted to murdering her three children. Shit. They show a mugshot of her, and she does not look. Oh. Oh. Like, what happened? Yeah. I think she'll get a... Well, there's a stay on capital punishment right now but yeah. otherwise i think they yeah would convict she's her in
0: arizona so mm-hmm. for sure she would have this would have been a capital case yeah so i'm gonna kind of follow up like
1: updates and stuff it's just it's like what happened she's 22 yeah has a three-year-old a two-year-old and a seven-month-old
0: oh my god
1: here she's up another picture of her um, like what happened whoa there's an affidavit of online of detailing what happened so i don't know if i'm gonna read it but yeah. like look at her
0: <laughs> oh my gosh okay let me name my sources really quick so oh. one of them was the book cages by victoria thorpe who is carolyn's sister oh wow and then the book i mean sorry the article hearing told of suspects violence boasts the san diego union Tru- tribune by ann krueger And also in the Union Tribune by Leslie Wolf, Jury recommends death penalty and one torture sling. Good sources. And I also got some from court documents. Those court documents are lengthy. But they're packed with like the info. Yeah. Hopefully accurate. But it doesn't
1: sound like that had any accurate info in it at all. It was all made up. Yeah. Yesterday. My coworker brought me Starbucks because she left her purse at the office and I took it home so it was safe and then brought it back. And oh, yeah. She asked me my Starbucks order. And so this is where I'm going. Like, I'm very paranoid recently. I don't know why. Maybe it's sweet. But it was like a, the tall almond milk latte. Like, that's what I get. It was good. And then I took a sip and I was like, this is not Almond milk latte. And I look at the sleeve and it said caramel macchiato. Oh, shit. And this is the same lady that was giving me shit for cleaning In the kitchen. So I'm like, what does she have against me? And so, like, we only small talk. Like, she's pretty standoffish. Not social, really. But, you know, I say hey. So I see her in the kitchen, and she's heating up her coffee from Starbucks. And she goes, they never make it hot enough. And I told her, you can order it extra hot, and they'll make it steamier for you. And I
0: order it warm. (laughs) Warm, like baby (laughs) temperature.
1: Kids temperature. (laughs) Kids temperature. So like maybe 10 minutes later, she comes in. Hey, Amanda, I just realized they gave me yours in this size. And then that's actually the caramel macchiato. They had switched the sizes and the drinks. Luckily, I only took that one drink. So I was like, the sugar in this will like freaking kill my asshole.
0: Right. And
1: (laughs) so we switched. And then I was like, hmm, this is fishy. Yeah, damn it. But it was nice. It was a nice gesture. But I had a super pain. After she made it
0: extra hot. After she made it extra hot. (laughs) In the microwave. I watched the Aaron Hernandez Netflix series. What'd you think? Honestly, once they were like, I think it was still the first episode when they talked about his like early childhood and adolescence head injuries. Yes. And then in college... And then throughout the NFL, and before yeah. they even started talking about the second one, I was like, "CTE." He had a
1: traumatic brain injury, repeated. And when they got a hold of his brain to did that research, they said yeah. it was the
0: worst case of CTE they had ever seen. Yeah, ugh. Yeah, it was intense.
1: Yeah, he had no
0: executive. No
1: free frontal cortex gone, mm. which is really really sad. Yes. Uh, doesn't excuse his actions. Hell no. Hell no. Gosh. Odin's mother. I know. Like, just broke broke my heart and like his family. And, and it the, ripped
0: apart the sisters. Yes. That is she's so stuck insane. By, I know. I watched End of the Fucking World. Which I need to watch this. It was good. It was a lot different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It was good. It was cute. Was it on Netflix? Good acting. Yeah. All right.
1: I watched The Circle. Really? Started watching I was like,
0: mm, this is a corny. It's corny, but I like it. It's entertaining. I started spinning out the ice skating show <gasps> oh, on Netflix. Is it good? Yeah, it is. Spinning out. It has, I don't remember her fucking real name, but it's Betty Draper. Oh, January Jones? January Jones. How did I forget? Love. She's the mom in the show. Okay. That's good. Okay. And she is not who she usually plays. She's a fucking shitty mom. She's an asshole. Well, she has bipolar disorder. She's a great
1: actress. Yeah.
0: I love January Jones. Yeah, they do a good job of talking about mental health and, like, medication and stuff like that. So far, I'm, like, four episodes in. Good. That's good. That's positive. Mm-hmm. Positive, positive. Yeah. All right, and, well, and uh, back in school, back, back to, to school, school, to prove to dad that <laughs> I'm not a fool. <laughs> Oh, Got we could my. keep going on, but I don't know if we get sued.
1: Not much going on I just forgot here. what I was going to
0: say again. Dang it. I don't it. have much of a life. Well, shout out to anyone who has class with me if you're listening to this since I totally plugged in class. <gasps> That's awesome that you have like a... It was so funny. Like everyone in there, like not everybody, but a lot of people were going around. I've been listening to podcasts or like watching Netflix documentaries like, fuck yeah. Yeah. We're in here. And there's always those people that I roll. Ugh. <laughs> I didn't see any good. But I also don't pay attention, so blocking <laughs> the haters. Like, so, thank you so much for, for listening. listening. Fuck yeah, go Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Fuck yeah, please remember to rate and review. Mm-hmm. Check us out on social media: one of Death Row
1: Women of Death Row on Twitter, one of Death Row Podcast on Instagram, and then Women of Death Row Podcast on Facebook. Yep. Is
0: that it? Sweet. Cool. Thank you. Bye-bye.